Hello and welcome to another lockdown edition of Order Order, Mail Plus Radio's politics podcast. With me, Simon Walters, Assistant Editor of the Daily Mail. And me, Amanda Platel, Daily Mail columnist from my house in North London. Coming up, well, it's the Russians are coming. There's reds under the beds, they used to say. <laughs> well, according to a group of MPs, the Russians are already here. And they aren't just under the beds. They're in the House of Lords. And the government is looking the other way. We talked to Labour MP Kevin Jones, a member of Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee. There is a lot of Russians with very close links to Putin who are now very well integrated into both UK business, political and social scene in what has been referred to as Londongrad. And the US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had a cosy chat with Boris Johnson in the Downing Street Rose Garden this week. But just how rosy is Britain's cherished special relationship with America in reality. We talked to Sir Christopher Mayer, Britain's former envoy in Washington. We want every nation to work together to push back against the Chinese Communist Party's uh, efforts in every dimension that I described to you today. That it certainly includes the United Kingdom. This time of year is the moment of truth for school children when their school report reveals how well or how badly they've done in the past year. As Boris Johnson notches up 365 days in number 10, we decide how many A's and C-minuses head boy Johnson deserves. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify or leave us a review. And email us at any time at orderorder at mailplus.co.uk. Simon, doesn't it seem more like a decade than just one year that Boris succeeded Theresa May? Looking at the way the coronavirus has wrecked the economy, left nearly 50,000 Brits dead and nearly killed him. Perhaps Boris could be forgiven for wishing he'd not used his pudgy mitts to wrench the keys to number 10 from Theresa May's shaky hands. But he did. And boy, what a year it's been. I've uh, just been to see Her Majesty the Queen earlier on and she agreed to dissolve Parliament for an election. I am forming a new government, and on Monday, MPs will arrive at Westminster to form a new Parliament. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. Boris Johnson was a star scholar at Eton and Oxford, and still looks, and at times acts, like a schoolboy. So let's mark his prime ministerial school report. Well, Amanda, let's start with Boris Johnson. Let's mark him on Brexit. Well, I think I'd give him an A- minus on Brexit because when he took over from Theresa May, the whole thing was stuck in the quagmire. It looked like we were never going to get out. Uh, Boris took a gamble, set a date, said he wouldn't budge from it from whatever happened, threw out a whole load of Tory Remainer MPs, and many, to many people it just looked like desperation. But it worked. It actually worked, and um, he's got us out, pretty much out. So I have to give him a fairly good mark on that. How do you rate him? Well, I've decided that in this game, you're going to be Boris's teacher, and I'm going to be the school man. And I, I was always... School matron. Okay, mate, let me be a thanks, Simon. That really ages me. Crikey. Okay, I am not as generous as you. I would give him a B, maybe a B plus if his handwriting had been good. Uh, because I think that, that Brexit has slipped from the consciousness and we don't have any trade deals sorted out. So I'm, I'm a little more cautious than you, but over you go. 
Okay, on coronavirus. Well, I think well, you've got to be generous here because um, the fact is you can't <laughs> you blame You keep input. saying that. I don't ever have to be generous. Well, I do, Amanda. That's the role I play here. You know, it's, it's Mr. Nice Guy and Mrs. Nasty. Um, and um, <laughs> I, I think the fact is, I'm going to give him a B here because um, there is no escaping the fact that he ordered the lockdown too slowly. We didn't get protective equipment to nurses, etc. Care homes, they left old people vulnerable. And testing's been a fiasco. So I can't give him more than a B on that. Well, I'm going to give him a C on that because if he had acted more quickly and stopped going around shaking people's hands um, before we locked down, maybe he wouldn't have got, got coronavirus and maybe we wouldn't have been left without a prime minister for a month. So sorry, mark down from me. Okay, well, on the economy, I give him C because I've never really trusted Boris Johnson on the economy. I think his grasp of economics is absolutely zero. Um, I don't know if he ever learned his times tables, but I don't think really he got much beyond four or five. And also, um, Bo Boris's economic policy, in his own words, is boosterism, which I think, frankly, is just a meaningless load of waffle. And um, so I give him a C on that. And um, the person who clearly does know his times tables, and he probably knows his 35 times tables, is the Chancellor Rishi Sunak. There's no doubting his, his rescue package was, was pretty impressive. Uh, but, of course, there's a slight danger for Boris there. Of course, we all want it to work. But if that is a great success and he gets us out of recession, Rishi Sunak's going to get the credit, not Boris Johnson. OK, I'm going to mark him a bit higher than that because Boris had to sign off Rishi's um, deal. It was generous. It was swift. It was convincing. And it did get us through a very bad part of this pandemic. So, um, and Boris was still in charge. I'm, so I'm, I'm going to give him maybe, yeah, I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him a B plus. Chinese studies, all very fashionable across schools and universities these days. I'm going to give Boris a minus on that. Um, I think he, um, he's done a very adroit U-turn on Huawei, uh, restricting their ability to control our um, 5G network. And I think the government's been very courageous on Hong Kong, standing up to China on that, um, offering British passports to some Hong Kongers and scrapping the extradition treaty to stop China getting people back from Britain and locking them up in, in, in Beijing. So I think he's been quite impressive on that. I rate him A- minus for me. OK, I'll, I'll do an A- minus too, because I also think there are rumours now that he's going cold on, on Dishy Rishi's um, trade embargoes with China. So he's got to keep standing up for them, especially while they continue to torture and, and, um, and you know, sterilise Muslim people in their country. Social care... I'm afraid I'm giving him a D on social care because there's been lots of talk about solving this problem, no action, and I sincerely doubt whether they're going to come up with anything on this. I think it's just too thorny an issue to grapple, and, and if that's the case, shame on them. And the other thing that really struck me, Simon, about this was, you know, they've announced that they're going to give a, an inflation-busting and pay rise to nurses and doctors and the army and to the police and to teachers. Now, all of those I agree with, except for teachers, many of whom have been on full pay and full benefit through the whole um, lockdown. And the one group of people who have never had a day off and many lock themselves inside the care homes are the care workers. You know, why is it that even in a gesture like this, a gesture of largesse he can't see, 
some of the most hardworking and poorest paid people in our community. I don't get it. I'm giving him, I'm not even giving him a score on that. Mm. Fail. Mm. Wow. Matron, the cute, the cute your office has just gone down a bit. People are too frightened <laughs> to walk in the door. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, get my, I'll get my, 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 um, what do you call it? My, um, uh, rule around. Whip. Whip. Um, Leadership. I give him B plus on this. Uh, I mean, it can never be forgotten. He won an election landslide against all the odds. That was remarkable. It was his victory. Um, he survived the virus and deserves sympathy for all of us. It's not that couldn't have been easy. He's got a new baby to, to cope with as well. And, and he's having to grip to grips with a new Labour leader, Keir Starmer, much better than Corbyn. And Boris is finding a way, he's gradually getting to terms with, with Keir Starmer, using his um, sense of humour to sort of diffuse the, the, the lawyer. Yeah, he still looks very bleary-eyed to me, Simon. Uh, I don't know whether that's um, up all night changing nappies or um, whether that's the, 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 sort of the, the, the after-effects of, of COVID, which we're now learning could be quite significant. But look... Heads off, he won us a stonking majority. I won a crate of champagne on that victory. Um, and, uh, and it is pretty remarkable that he's back leading the country and looking okay. Although he hasn't lost much weight, has he? No, but I, I've just had three ginger biscuits, so I'm in no position to let him <laughs> on that. <laughs> Boris Johnson did everything he could to delay the publication of the report on Russian meddling in the UK by Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee. Respected Labour MP Kevin Jones, a member of the committee, says new laws are needed to stop Russian agents doing Putin's dirty work in British business and politics. Kevin, this is quite a scary report. Um, are there really Russian agents in London trying to control Parliament, business, um, the estate agents' world and, and acting on behalf of Putin? Well... The UK, and particularly London, has a large Russian community, and there's a lot of open source material, not secret material, which uh, shows the extent of that uh, in the in the capital. Many who have uh, access to large amounts of, uh, of wealth. But in 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 this report, uh, you're suggesting that the British government has deliberately ignored meddling by the Russians in the Brexit referendum and other aspects of your life. What evidence is there of that and why, why have they ignored it? Well, in terms of the Brexit referendum and the, and the 2017 general election, uh, the evidence comes from the government. I don't want to get boring, but if you look on page 13, paragraph 44, I think it is, the government, uh, in written evidence, uh, said that they found no successful attempt to influence uh, the democratic process. But then it goes on to say uh, that neither had they sought uh, the evidence. So that's not the committee saying that, that's the government saying that. Are you really suggesting that the British government um, doesn't want to investigate Russian meddling in the Brexit referendum because the fact is that Russian meddling may have helped them win it? No, because if, again, uh, this is one of those uh, red herrings that have been put around, if you actually read the report, it said, even if we'd found evidence of influence in that referendum, it would have been very difficult to determine whether that would have changed the outcome of uh, the referendum. So, no, we're not saying that. And I think you yourself have said that, uh, or the report has described London as London grad. In other words, it's so bad. Russian influence is so much, is, is so bad that, that London has turned into a haven for these agents of Putin. Do you have evidence of that? Uh, 
Well, again, just look at the open source. There's plenty of stuff out there in terms of the amount of money that has come into uh, particularly London, uh, mainly from the 1994 decision on tier one investment visas. And what we say in the report is, is there's been quite a lax attitude to asking uh, the sources of uh, those individuals' wealth. And there's quite a few members of the House of Lords who have um, business interests in Russia. Uh, what do you think should be done about that? Well, the report's very clear. Is, is in, in the House of Commons, there are strict rules uh, for MPs whereby uh, you have to not only declare your interest, you have to declare what the income is and also include how many hours you, you work on that. Those similar uh, rules are not applied in the House of Lords. And what we make a recommendation is the House of Lords needs to uh, update them. And and some people are calling for a new Official Secrets Act to crack down on this, for example, having a, having a register of agents. Is it the case at the moment that there is actually no law against being a spy in Britain? Uh, no, there isn't. I mean, the, it's, the Official Secrets Act dates back, I think, to the uh, First World War and was designed to stop people sketching warships in naval dockyards. It was updated in, uh, I think, 1989. Uh, but it is out of date in the sense is that it doesn't make it illegal uh, for someone to act as an agent. And part of the recommendations is also to have, similar to the United States, uh, a register of people who act as foreign agents. And in the United States, that's been around since 1938. So do you think that the Russians have people who, who are not officially diplomats in Britain, but they've got other people in the community who are effectively acting as full-time spies and, and can do it with impunity? Well, if not full-time, is there's, the, there's, there's a way of using business to hide their activities. And what we need, I think, is... And it's, you know, it's quite legitimate for someone to actually be an advocate for a foreign government. Uh, but we need, we, we, need, we need to know that they're registered to do that. And if they don't register, then it's illegal. And it's been very effective in the United States, for example, for not only deporting. I mean, remember, this doesn't cover diplomats, uh, accredited diplomats. This is individuals. In the United States, it's led not only to uh, jailing of U.S. citizens, but also deportations of individuals who, who haven't complied with the law and registered. Of course, some some members of the government say that that the um, that your committee is full of remainers. I mean, I think you you voted remain, and that really what this is about is an attempt by remainer members of the intelligence committee um, to have a go at the government uh, uh, simply because of sour grapes at losing the Brexit vote. Is there anything in that? And that's complete and utter one hundred percent nonsense. And as just people just read the report, and I reiterate the point that we make clearly in the report saying that even if during the Brexit referendum we'd found Russian uh, uh, involvement in trying to influence that election, we actually come to the conclusion that it would have been very difficult to determine whether or not that would have affected the results. So I think that's complete nonsense. Kevin, have the Russians ever tried to recruit you as an agent in, in, in any way? No, I'm too boring, I think, uh, Simon, as you well know. Kevin Jones, thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> Simon, one of the things that surprised me most about um, Kevin Jones's interview is this rule that members of the House of Lords can be sitting on Russian boards earning huge amounts of money, advising them and consulting them, and we are not allowed to know who is up to their necks in Rusky coin. Yeah, there's a, there's a loophole here, because if you're in the House of Commons, 
the rules on uh, members' interest are very strict and they have to spell out who they're working for, how much they're being paid, and they, have, they even have to say how much time they're spending on that work. Now, in the House of Lords, they don't have those rules. So you've no idea whether a member, member of the House of Lords is earning a fortune from a Russian company or whether actually they're spending, they're working more or less full-time for a Russian company and doing very little in the Lords. And I think, given this is, this is something that's a relatively new phenomenon, I think the committee and Kevin Jones is onto something there. Um, and the other aspect of this, which I think got my interest, is the government is now talking of bringing in a new law to make yeah. it illegal to, to be a spy. Obviously, diplomats, some would call them spies in some sense. Obviously, that's different. You are allowed to be a diplomat. But if, if there are Russians in Britain who are masquerading as businessmen, but actually their real purpose here is to get information and feed it back to Russia, there's nothing we can do to stop them unless you get specific evidence of them doing something. And I think, again, this, this sort of scrutiny that we're giving to this is making people think we need tighter rules. I think we do. And I, I loved your question at the end um, when you asked um, Kevin if he'd ever been approached to be a spy. Well, Simon, this may come as a surprise to you, but I have been approached to be a British spy. Yeah, I'm, you know, that doesn't surprise me because, you know, you're, you're, the way that you operate so discreetly, you dress modestly, you behave modestly. You're the kind of person who'd be completely unnoticed tracing someone on, on, on the London Underground, but not that you've ever used it. Do you know, that is not only really mean, that is virtually what he said. He said, you're a little-known journalist, um, you, you've got an Australian passport, um, you work for a newspaper no one's ever heard of, not the Mail at that time, and he said, you can go around anywhere without being noticed, and you didn't go to Oxbridge, so you don't even have a distinguished background. And I mm. thought, who would want to join an organisation that is that mean about you? Mm. You're, you're, but I, um, did, I did like the idea of being called, not Mata Hari, but Mandy Hari. What do you reckon? Mm. Well, I think you could, you know, with the, um, you, we had Smiley in the, in the Great Lacari series. You, you could be Mrs. Smiley. You do smile a lot. <laughs> I want you, to be a glamorous spy. Yeah, I, I, think that, I think that's one of the many instances where the word oxymoron applies to you, Amanda. <laughs> Distinguished diplomat, Sir Christopher Mayer has had a ringside seat on Anglo-US relations since Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister. In the week that US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was in town, Sir Christopher says the much-vaunted special relationship between the two nations can be a double-edged sword. Christopher, you've been involved in Anglo-US relations for um, under Margaret Thatcher, under John Major, under Tony Blair. Give us your assessment of where Anglo-US relations are today. Well, I think they're on a rising curve, Simon. And by the way, it's a great pleasure to be here talking to you. Um, they're on a rising curve because two reasons, I think. One is that Trump seems to like Boris Johnson. Uh, this is a kind of visceral thing, a visceral reaction that he has to Boris. Um, and secondly, there are a number of issues popping up where we see, broadly speaking, things in the same way. And I think that China is the most a salient example of that. And the, the, some would say that um, the, the recent decision by the British government to change its uh, stance on the involvement of Huawei in our technology 
it is really a result of American pressure on us, linked perhaps to our uh, desire for a trade, de- a post-Brexit trade deal with them. Would you go with that? I'd go some of the way there, but not all the way. Um, I, th- I think one of the things Americans have done uh, to change the name of the game is to ban certain types of uh, technology to Huawei so that it makes it very hard for Huawei to make things that are indispensable um, for 5G telecommunications. That has changed the calculation over here. And when the facts change, policy changes. And I think uh, you can't simply say this is America strong-arming the UK. There's another factor here. Is we're not just talking about the United States of America. We are talking about the almost sacred intelligence uh, uh framework that we have which comprises the so-called five eyes that is not just the united states it is canada it is new zealand and it is australia which is in the front line of tension um, with the people's republic of china now our the, the, the very quality of the intelligence that we share depends on the five eyes arrangement and all those countries that i've just listed in addition to the united states don't want us to use huawei in the establishment of our 5G communications. And indeed, Australia is in, in a kind of trade war with China now because it has done precisely that. So the pressures come from the closest allies that we have in the world, not just in the United States, uh, so that the calculation uh, free trade agreement with the United States is not the only element in this game. But we do need, the, isn't, the, isn't the reality that we need America more than ever now in the post-Brexit world? We're turning away from the European Union and we need America more than, more than ever before, don't we? Well, I think you, you can say that. Um, if I look at the history of Anglo-US relations since 1945, there have been moments when we have desperately needed a very, very close working relationship with with the United States. Whether we need that more now than we did 20, 30 years ago, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to say. Certainly, the prospect of a free trade agreement with the United States has concentrated EU minds wonderfully. I'm not sure, actually, when we will get this free trade agreement with the, with the United States because there are both commercial and political obstacles along the way, which are not easily overcome. Nonetheless, in the negotiation that we are having now with the EU, which prospects for which look uh, pretty pessimistic, I have to say, uh, nonetheless, it has helped put pressure, not, it's put pressure actually on the EU negotiators to know that we're quite far along the road towards an agreement with the Americans, although that is not likely to be ratified, even if successfully negotiated, until 2021, you have you have seen the uh, the relationship between British prime ministers and American presidents at, at close quarters. I mean, thinking particularly of uh, Tony Blair and uh, George Bush, uh, George Bush Jr. Um, do you think that Boris Johnson and Trump can have the same kind of relationship? Because it, they they do have quite a lot in common, don't they? They're both mavericks. Um, they're they're both big personalities. Do you think they can have the kind of relationship that Blair forged with Bush? No, I, I don't think so at all. Uh, I, I think Blair's two great relationships in the United States were Bill Clinton uh, and then, as you say, George W. Bush, who followed him in the presidency. Now, those two relationships, they certainly had a personal, a very strong personal element in them because they liked each other. Blair liked Clinton, Clinton liked Blair, 
ditto with George W. Bush. But also, these were very substantive relationships in which a lot of policy detail was invested. The relationship, as far as I can see, between Donald Trump and and, uh, and Boris is one of a sort of instinctive fellowship. Is that the right word? Well, you, you mean you mean think- de- detail is not the first word that comes to mind when thinking about no, Boris Johnson not. or Donald Trump. No, no, exactly. And, and I but think there's a ke- ke- chemistry is important in these relationships, though, isn't it? That is the word I was looking for. That is the word I was looking for. The chemistry was excellent between Tony Blair and Clinton and Bush, but it wasn't the totality of the relationship. I suspect that chemistry is just about the only thing uh, <laughs> between Boris Johnson uh, and Donald Trump. And if uh, Boris suddenly broke into discussion of tariff quotas for the import of speciality steel, this is not something on which Donald Trump would immediately give an informed answer, whereas he might have got that kind of answer out of Bush or out of Clinton. Yes. Um, And and the special relationship between Britain and America, is it a tired old cliché or does it still have any relevance today? It's a bit of a tired old cliché. I would like to put it out the grass, to be perfectly honest. I think it's uh, exhausted its usefulness. It reflects another and earlier period in the British-American relationship. Um, And actually, I think it has become a stick with which the Americans beat us. Um, but what, I, what I mean is this, I can remember doing myself doing trade negotiations with the Americans way back when I was in Washington. And one of the things they'd always say, if we didn't fall in with them or if we objected to something that they were proposing, they would say, you're going to damage a special relationship if you don't fall in with us. Mm. If you go on putting obstacles in the path, um, you're going to destroy the special relationship. Now, that is not what a special relationship is there for, to work against us. But we, in a kind of slavish, uh, how can I put it, you know, without thinking properly way, we still invoke it. And every time an American politician comes to Britain, and then in, in the case of Mike Pompeo uh, this week, they immediately say, we're here to fortify the special relationship or build on the magnificent structure that is the special relationship, which is another way of saying, kindly do what we ask of you, otherwise we're not going to talk about the special relationship anymore. So I'm skeptical about that. The reality of the relationship is for the last 70 years, I mean by that, since the Second World War, when the phrase was coined, is that the relationship at the political level and personal level has had lots of ups and downs, and been strong down periods and quite strong up periods. We are, I think, in a climbing period at the moment after the rather sort of uh, stultified uh, period between Theresa May and, and Donald Trump, um, and between Gordon Brown and uh, Obama, President Obama. Chris Mayer, thank you very much for joining us today, Chris. I greatly appreciate that, Christopher. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think what Mayer said that caught my eye there, Amanda, was the, the kind of the double-edged nature of the special relationship. I mean, I think it matters an awful lot more, really, to we little Brits than it does to the, to the big Americans. And I think what um, Mayer was saying is that the Americans will often come over and, and kind of say, well, you know, of course you Brits, you want a special relationship, and then produce a shopping list of all the things that the Americans want so that we can keep a special relationship. And I think really we, we, we are getting closer to America. Um, and I think in a, in a, in a 
post-Brexit world, we leave in the European Union. Obviously, we need, we need to be close to America for a trade deal. And also, you can see this, our interest in relation to China. Um, we are now much more aware of the threat from China, both, both in, the, in the terms of their influence over British business and politics, and also particularly Hong Kong, where we have a special interest there. And the British government's been good to stand up to Hong Kong. And I think in this new world order, I think it makes sense for Britain to align itself more closely with, with China for a number of reasons. Simon, you're absolutely right. I mean, you look at the three great world powers now. They are America, China and Russia. And at the moment, we're only really buddies with one of them. So it's even more important to us that we're now um, closer to America. And look, I, you know, I was a huge supporter of, of leaving the EU, but I kind of get this little stalking feeling at the moment that Britain seems to have become smaller in the world's eyes. And, and that's what worries me about this special relationship is, you know, we can deliver our own economy, but that's all we can deliver now. And, and I think Trump's a really brutal um, uh, negotiator. You know, he's, um, I hope he's going to do us some favours. I hope there's going to be that special relationship will go on. But I've got to tell you, I ain't holding my breath. No, I think the, the other aspect of this is, that, of course, that there is the American election coming up in November. And at the moment, um, it's quite possible that Trump will lose. But I think um, forging this closer relationship with, with America at the moment, I don't think it matters if Trump stays or if Joe Biden wins, because in this geopolitical issue of a relationship with America vis-a-vis -vis China, I don't see Biden changing America's policy on China. So from that point of view, I think that us getting closer to America at this time is probably a safe bet regardless of whether Trump or Biden wins. But on that subject... It's the only bet. It's the only bet. And Mayor made interesting comments about chemistry. I mean, obviously, the lack of chemistry between Trump and May could not be disguised by the fact that they held hands up for one brief moment. Um, and the warmth of the chemistry between uh, Johnson and uh, Trump is obvious. In some, they have a lot in common, a lot in common. Um, Boris is Indeed they do, Simon, including a rackety past with women. Mm, mm. But I think... Uh, and and really talk... bad blonde hair, really bad hair. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure whether Boris can have that kind of relationship with Biden. I don't see that happening. So I think if Biden does become president, I think Boris is going to have to work hard at developing a personal bond with, with, with Biden. Yeah, agreed. Well, and now it's the moment you've all been waiting for. Uh, well, when I say that, you'll have to wait a minute for my topical tune. Before that, Amanda, would you like to tell us what you're going to, uh, and I use this word cautiously, entertain us with this week by way of your sing-song. Well, I thought a little loving tribute to Carrie and Boris and their new baby and the new relationship. And I had wanted to sing this song with you, Simon, but you were obviously intimidated by my voice. So mm. I'm going to sing both parts of this duet myself. <clears throat> And you can join in at any time, okay? And I've yeah. changed a few of the words for Carrie. 
They say I'm young and I don't know. We won't find out until we grow. Well, I don't know if all that's true, because you got me and baby, I got you, babe. Bum, 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 bum. I've got you, babe. Bum, 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 bum. I've got you to hold my hand. I've got you to understand. I've got you, I won't let go. I've got you to love me so, babe. Bum, 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 bum. I've got you, babe. Bum, 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 bum. Well, do you know that was, I think that was even, that was longer than the original version. And you, you <laughs> it was not, it's a third of it. It's one only, third of it, I edited it down. We, but you didn't just do the vocals, you did the bass and the drums and the orchestra in the background as well, <laughs> incredible. Well, against that, so my top... Against that, my topical <laughs> tune is going to sound fairly feeble because it, it's only David Bowie <laughs> and only one of his greatest songs, <laughs> Golden Years. And of course, I wanted something that sort of chimed with Boris's first year. And you couldn't really call Boris's first year in government a golden year when we've had the horror of coronavirus. But he's got probably got at least five more years and let's hope some of those are golden years for him and you wouldn't think so but actually Boris was a big Bowie fan and played great tribute to Bowie when Bowie died in 2016 and Boris is still mayor he praised him as the the Londoner Davy Jones from Brixton as Bowie started out and said how he uh -huh. become the genius of Ziggy Stardust the thin white duke so Boris has more um more talents than one would think. Not an obvious pop lover, Boris, but there you go. <laughs> He's every man. Good choice. Good choice, son. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. And as Parliament gets up uh, today, we'll be taking a bit of a break as well. And don't forget, you can listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus radio podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But for now, that's all from me, Simon Walters. And from me, Amanda Platel. One, two, three. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>